What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 105, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, The Warrior! The Warrior! We're an independent podcast. This thing is independent because we like to do things, and we don't want people coming in being all like, yeah, yeah, so we want you to say things like, uh, this detergent is the best detergent in the world. Because it's not the best detergent in the world, and we all know that. Indeed. But you can help keep the thing independent if you would like by visiting us over there on Patreon. we got a little Patreon thing going on, patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. Uh, and every single dollar received goes directly to the support of the show in the function of computing devices that were necessary to be replaced quite a while ago now. Oh, actually, almost like a year ago now, isn't it? Yeah, we have um, been... So this is February as we're recording this, uh-huh. and I think the first... So we started this like at the beginning of January 2020, uh-huh. and the first time that uh, they tap people was the beginning of January. So we have been doing this for a little over a year on the Patreon. Wow. Thank you for those folks that, wow. Thanks for those of you who've signed up. Thanks for those of you who've been with us for a year. Dang, man. Um, Yeah, a lot of fun. But hey, while we do have unique and fun um, audio content that is for the Patreon folks first, all that stuff is going to be on our main feed at some point. Uh, You will be able to find our stuff where most podcasts are, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Aggregators. And uh, go ahead and engage with the little likey, clicky, hearty, thummy uppy, whatever you got to do to signal to your little device or service that uh, that that what we got going on is good. Well, presuming, I am presuming that you think that we, what we have going on is a good thing. I think that what we have going on is a good thing, Zach. But... Uh, Natural. And as a little incentive for those of you who want to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, uh, it's the, the the thing that we like to do is if you leave a if you leave words, we will do a dramatic recreation with those words. Yes. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. We haven't um, had any words lately. Hey, yeah. friends, make words. Make words. Make words with your word with your word fingers. I don't know that that that. Mm. You know, anyway, we, um, we need a T-shirt that says "Make words with your word fingers." <laughs> mm, I'm not sure that's a thing that we need to do or not. So, uh, Zach, if somebody wants to let me know that uh, I probably should not let every word that goes through my head come out of my mouth or word fingers, how might they let me know that with their word fingers? Well, you got lots of options to talk to Brent and to me. Uh, you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. Did you notice I skipped that one part because I just wanted to? You did. <gasps> okay. I was going to say, I don't know if we could skip it. I know. I mean, we can. No. It's our show. We can do whatever the heck we want. Yeah, I know. But then, then I felt bad about skipping it. Well, do you want so, me to do it? So, I can try. Uh, okay, okay, you, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hit, all right. All right. Up. No, 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 no prep. No prep. Okay. That's W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-U-G-H-T-H-E-S-E-A-G-T-E-H. Zach, I almost did it perfectly. I, I kind of know, bailed at the you, end you, because you know, I was really surprised I got to the middle. <laughs> you know, if you had just finished, if you had just said at gmail.com, oh my you would have been able to say, yes, you did it. Oh, wow. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Well, in any case. Holy cow. I was impressed. I I was like, go, go, go. Wait, wait, why are you stopping now? It's because I surprised myself. You should have seen it. My eyes got real big at the end there. (laughs) (laughs) 
where else can they? Uh, so you can, of course, go to Twitter at Stargate Walking and talk to us there. Uh, we got a Facebook page and a Facebook group, Walking Through the Stargate. Uh, we've got several people liking the Facebook page, which is awesome. Great. Thank you very nice. much. Go ahead and feel mm-hmm. free if you want to join the group, and you can continue in the conversations of all that's happening there. Uh, mm-hmm. You can also go to our website, WTTS.space. Space! Space! Uh, and, of course, uh, on Patreon, w- <laughs> patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. Um, we've got a couple of podcasts on there. We've got The Other Side of the Gate uh, and Stargate Second Chances. The Other Side of the Gate is with David and me as we talk about various and sundry things that are spoilery, uh, mm-hmm. that talk about the whole of Stargate uh, rather than the moment where we are at with you and me. Yes. Um, and uh, David and I are in the process right now of figuring out when we can Ooh. schedule our next podcast. Nice. Um, which Excellent. will probably be this week sometime. Um, Excellent. And then uh, I think we are going to continue uh, the second part of what we started with episode three. So pay attention to that, Patreon listeners. If you want to know what all of that's about, feel free to join us on Patreon and do that. Uh, we've got the Stargate Second Chances podcast as well. That's when you and I, Brent, uh, re-watch episodes that our Patreon subscribers vote for. Uh, we don't have any that have hit that number 10 yet. Um, nope. And But Stargate the movie is getting up there. I think... Uh, my notes here aren't updated, but I think there's something like six or seven votes oh, wow. already really? on that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if you want oh, to no. encourage us to rewatch the movie or any of the other episodes that uh, you think just deserve uh, a second viewing, uh, please consider joining us on Facebook or on Patreon and uh, voting for those things uh, yeah. once a month. So that's good stuff. Uh, yeah, that's how you can get a hold of us. Uh, please join us. Have fun with it. Mm-hmm. All right, Brent, yeah. shall we dig into The Warrior? The Warrior! The Warrior! So this episode I is directed... first prime of Imhotep, a false god! Yes, let's get into it. Ah, yes. Well, you actually did quite well. I'm impressed. Thank you. <laughs> I really liked... Uh, did we see... We'll get into it. We'll get into it. All right. Okay, let's get into so it. So the director for this episode is Peter DeLuise. This is his seventh yes. of eight episodes this season. He did Threshold, The Fifth Man, Rite of Passage, The Tomb, 2001, and Wormhole Extreme. Wormhole Extreme. So he's got this one and one more episode this season. Um, mm-hmm. He is also the teleplay writer. He wrote this episode. Uh, this is his second of three episodes this season. He wrote Beast of Burden. He's got one mm-hmm. more in the mm-hmm. uh, three or four episodes that are left after this However, uh, the story credit for this episode is Christopher Judge. I don't know if you noticed that. I noticed that. that. I did. As it was rolling through, I was like, wait, 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 what? So, yeah, that was really, that was delightful. Yep. Yep. So, this is Christopher Judge's first story credit. Um, Uh He's got a total of four credits uh, throughout the course of the season. Uh, This is one that he came up with the idea and pitched it to uh, Peter and whomever else, and and they liked it, and Peter ran with it. He's got a couple a couple of them. At least two of the next three are actually his teleplay credits. He actually gets the full oh, teleplay credit. Oh, nice. Um, and uh, so, uh, yeah, I just thought that that was just delightful that uh, this is a place that invites people to, uh, to participate in that way uh, mm-hmm. if they want. So 
We've got several guest actors for this one. Mm-hmm. We have returning Tony Amendola as Braytac. Ricardo Maltaban! Woo! We have Obi Ndefo as Ragnar. <laughs> he is returning. Yeah, okay. I was trying to, I, I was, I, that was my question. Is like, we've seen him before, right? Because yes. I was like, I've seen you before, but I yes. couldn't remember. Exactly. Yeah, so he was yes. in the episode, uh, I think it's called Serpent's Venom. Uh, yeah. And that is when Tilk is captured by, um, I think he's actually captured by uh, Heruer and mm-hmm. is tortured by that one guy. And Raktor yeah. is there kind of being the guard of it all. And uh, through the course of that, uh, Raknor decides to betray the gods yep. uh, for the sake of, of Teal'c and is convinced by what Teal'c, by Teal'c's resolve and Teal'c's ability to uh, um, hold his own, even in the midst of all of that torture. Um, yep. And so, yeah, we see uh, Raknor again in this. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, this is, uh, from DeLuise's point of view, this is sort of a sequel to that episode. Uh, mm. in, that, in that episode and some of the other episodes around town, uh, we've got talk about a potential growing uh, rebel movement. And now mm-hmm. we finally get to see some of that rebel movement happening. Yeah. So. Yes. Uh, we also have Vince Cristejo uh, as Lord Yu Huang Shang Ti mm-hmm. uh, returning for just a small little scene there. Um, and we do have a couple of new actors that I want to talk about. One mm-hmm. is Rick Worthy, who plays Katano slash Imhotep. Mm-hmm. He's a native of Detroit, and he graduated from the University of Michigan in 1990. Uh, isn't isn't that your alma mater? It sure is. There you go. That's right. Uh, he graduated a few years before you did. Just a few. Uh, he then moved to Chicago, where he performed at several different theaters, including the Chicago Dramatists Workshop, the Goodman Theater, and the Victory Gardens Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I, I get most of this information from IMDB and they have a trademark thing, you know, there's something that he's known for and it said mm-hmm. distinctively rich, deep voice, <laughs> which is quite true. He's got a, just a, just a wonderfully deep, uh, melodious voice there. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Um, his very first, uh, appearance on television was breakdancing on the dance contest TV show Dance Fever. Mm-hmm. He was 19 at the time, and his brother, who was 20 at the time, were billed as the Floor Masters. Um, the Floor Masters. Yep. And actually, you yeah. see uh, some of that in this episode, uh, because not ah. all of those stunts were Rick, but he did a goodly large chunk of his own yeah. stunts. Yeah, uh, and yeah. And those, some of those flippings and things like yeah. that. Some of that I mean, was, now that you fact, say it, yeah, him. exactly. Um, yep, yep. Uh, he's also played five different characters in Star Trek, uh, mm-hmm. appearing in 14 different episodes of the various uh, series, uh, and also in Star Trek Insurrection, which came out in 1998. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's kind of cool there. I need to go look closer at which of those episodes he was in because I can't place him in those episodes specifically, but uh, I'm sure that if I watched those episodes, I would notice him now immediately. Um, yeah, oh yeah. I, that, I, I was watching this episode like, you know, trying to figure out where, he, where I'd seen him, but 
Now right. I know. Star Trek. Yeah. An awful lot of Star Trek. Um, he's been in a whole bunch of television shows, including uh, The Magicians, The Man in the High Castle, Supernatural, The Vampire, Di- Di- the Vampire Diaries, Battlestar mm-hmm. Galactica, The Magnificent Seven. Yeah. Uh, he, of course, was one of the Cylons in Battlestar Galactica. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Simon, I think. Uh, okay, I did know that. That's yeah. right. So, so I think we see him first in Battlestar Galactica when um, Starbuck has been captured by the Cylons, and uh-huh. and she's in that uh, farm area where they are farming uh, human women and their eggs and all of this yep. stuff to try to yep. duplicate the wow, human Cylons. Um, Dude, I have not watched that show. Basically, I saw that essentially when it came out. Well, and I can still remember that. Yeah. Well, maybe when we finish Stargate and nah. all of its iterations, <laughs> we can move we to go. Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Dude, you've got what do you what do you, you have like a 20-year plan here or something? I have no I can barely <laughs> plan out till tomorrow. <laughs> We're going to be retired. I'm going to be a welcome to uh uh the the base ca- no, the what is which one are we on now? Oh, right. Welcome to Star Trek, the 50th anniversary edition. No, I'm no. Great. You got to remember that when you're doing old, you got to do Southern. Because when you're old, you're Southern like when this. When you're old, you're Southern. <laughs> I got a prostate problem that I'm not going to talk about. But, but when I'm old, I'm just going to be keeping talking about this stuff. <laughs> I mean, now you sound like you got to have a piece of, uh, you got to have some grass in your mouth on that one and wearing a straw hat. Uh, well, well, you know, that's just what you do. Um, well, you got yourself a problem with your 4060 there, and you, uh, what you need to do is get a new turbo for <laughs> that tractor. Indeed. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, in the TV show The Magicians, he plays, like, the, the principal... Um, or one of the main characters in that, uh, and Julie watches that show a lot and, and is mm-hmm. really impressed with that. Uh, he does a good job. In nice. That. But he's got that great voice, and that those tones mm-hmm. are just amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also want to highlight uh, Kirby Morrow, who plays Tarak. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the guy that straps the bomb to his chest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he trained in theater at Mount Royal University in Calgary, Alberta. Mm-hmm. Uh Throughout his career, he also trained in Vancouver, Paris, Dublin, Toronto, Los Angeles, uh, reaching a successful stature in both on-camera and animation voiceovers. He was Mm -hmm. uh, highly sought-after guest at animation and science fiction and Comic-Con conventions around the world. Um, Nice. That was actually something that he wrote about himself on IMDb, so I figured I should uh, say that. However, it was the his uh, bio was added to because in uh, 2020, just a few months ago, uh, he died at the age of 47. Oh. Uh, he's just eight days huh. after the death of his father. Uh, there hmm. were no cause of death specifically given, but his brother Casey wrote on Facebook that his brother's body simply could not keep up after a long history of substance abuse. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is just a sad, sad. Yes, part of the story. it is. Yeah. Um, you know, when he talks about though having a successful career and all of that stuff, 
when you look at IMDb, he has 198 acting and voiceover credits. Jeez Louise. So he was all over the place. No kidding. Um, we, uh, we actually have seen him before. He was one of the militia guys in the first season episode, Korai. Um, oh, and I mean, I don't remember him, but I, can, I don't yeah, remember. Yeah. I'd have to watch that episode again and really pay close attention yeah. to it. Um, and we will see him again, uh, obviously as a different character, in several episodes of Atlantis. Mm-hmm. So we'll see him okay. again in a little bit. His very first credit came in 1979. He was like six, and he did the voice of Woody Maiden in an episode of Mobile Suit Gundam. <laughs> nice. Uh, this is right not on. the first time we have seen one of our actors who has their first credit in uh, as a voice acting as a child for a Mobile Suit Gundam. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't remember who the other one. I was. can't yes, remember. I remember seeing the, the name. Time. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, this episode originally aired on April 12, 2002. Mm-hmm. Number one on the charts in both the U.S. and the U.K. hasn't changed much. It's still Ain't It Funny, and it's still Unchained Melody. There you go. That and makes it easy for me. it ain't funny, <laughs> and we need to unchain that melody. <laughs> oh, 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 the melody has changed too many times. It's, but now, see, now you're getting into the combos. Like, uh, you know, two times combo, three times combo, four, 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 four times combo. Sure. I think it's time to change lanes. <laughs> Changing lanes is number one in the box office. Uh, Panic Room is number two. The Sweetest Thing is number three. Ice Age is number four. And the top five for this weekend in 2012 is The Rookie. The Rookie. There, there you, you go. have it. Now. As opposed to the cookie. Not the know. cookie. I don't know. I got nothing. Never mind. Not the know. cookie. The rookie. On. Okay. Yeah, I know. So, I don't know. So, like I said, words, words, brain, mouth problem. Yeah. Well, you know, as, as you know. <laughs> All right. So on April 9, a few days before this episode airs, the funeral of Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother at Westminster Abbey in the UK yeah. occurs. And yeah. there are more than a million people in the streets uh, paying attention to this. Yep. So I think she was like, wasn't she like 102 or something? Uh, she was. She was old. Old. Um, but yes. So the Queen Mother. On April 11, there was an attempted coup uh, in Venezuela against President Hugo Chavez. On April 12, uh-huh. Pedro Carmona becomes the interim president of Venezuela during that military coup. On April 3rd, Pedro Carmona, the interim president of Venezuela, resigns one day after taking office. And then on April 14th, (laughs) Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez returns to office two days after being ousted and arrested by the country's military. Mm -hmm. So, lots of stuff happening in Venezuela 20 years ago. That was a busy few days. Yeah. Yep. Also on the 14th, the 66th annual U.S. Masters Tournament... Uh, the Augusta Nash at the Augusta National Golf Club course uh, occurs. Tiger Woods becomes the third player to claim back-to-back Masters, three strokes ahead mm-hmm. of Retief mm-hmm. Goosen of South mm-hmm. Africa. There you go. There you go. The era of the dominance of Tiger Woods. Indeed. 
Indeed. Mm-hmm. When that moment when we thought, oh my gosh, he's going to win for the next 20 years and break all of the records. It was really, really interesting how he just rocketed right up to the line where all the records were set. I mean, he just went right up there and then bang, that's when it's that's when it that's when it stopped. That's yeah. the whole thing just leveled out. Yep. So we do have some trivia for this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, the f- the fighting form that's being practiced that's called Mustaba is in fact uh, a Brazilian uh, martial arts technique called capoeira. Yeah. Um, I mean, and- I don't know much about capoeira, but uh, as I was watching them flip around, I'm like, that looks a lot like capoeira. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and in fact, um, there was a group of capoeiran fighters or practitioners who were traveling around showing off what they can do, who happened to be in Vancouver right around this time. Oh, and convenient. So so when they first walk in and you see that group of like six or eight yeah. or ten guys flipping around and doing all that, that's actually that troop. Uh-huh. Um, and some of the other Jaffa that are practicing on like one-on-one and stuff are yeah. are actual like like the, the leaders of that group and, and the 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 gotcha. trainers and teachers of that um so it was pretty cool to like yeah those scenes were good yeah i like those scenes yeah um so uh the name mastaba is also the name of the rectangular flat roofed mud brick tombs built in egypt's ancient period in which kings were buried before the pyramids were built and they were of course mm-hmm. still used uh for uh, a thousand years or so after they were built but um mm-hmm. So that was something uh, that uh, is actually a real thing. And Imhotep is actually a real person uh, Mm -hmm. in Egypt history, Egyptian history. Uh, And he was, in fact, uh, deified uh, because he was a scholar and learned man and uh, did a lot to uh, enhance the culture and um, architecture and all of that stuff of Mm -hmm. Egypt. And when he died, they deified him. Uh, So... Uh, he, Imhotep, really would have actually known a lot about Mastabas. Yeah. So there you have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Peter DeLuise, you know, his trademark is to be in his episodes somewhere. Oh, right. Did you notice him? No. No. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> That's because, so far as I can tell, he is not ever actually seen. However, uh-huh. you do hear his voice uh, at the very beginning uh, Katano is talking, and you hear somebody says, "An army has weapons. An army has food." Yeah, that yes, I did notice is that. Peter DeLuise. That was Peter. Gotcha. Yep. Um, another little trivia bit here that I learned in the commentary. Um, so remember the scene when Carter is showing off the P ninety, yes. right? Uh, if you looked in the background, you saw this little boy. Uh, you may or may not have noticed him, but he's just this uh, boy sitting in the the. the- Behind Carter or behind the logs? Uh, behind the behind Carter. Yes. Um, okay. So that boy is actually the son of Will Waring, who is one of the... He's actually directed some episodes, and he does a lot of backstage <laughs> stuff for it. Mm-hmm. And apparently, he was just so excited to see these weapons. And, you know, for the, the staff weapons, it's really not all that exciting. You know, you stand it up there, and he goes, click, click. And you don't actually see anything. You just hear a little poof of smoke. I mean, that's all sure. that, that's practical there. Um, but then when the gun was going off, he got all excited. And if you look carefully, uh, he's like holding his head and he's like decked down and he's like 
closing his eyes because it's such a loud concussive sound and yes. so he was all excited about watching them shoot this gun and he misses it all because he's <laughs> uh, 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 I did not notice that. <laughs> so, you know, there you go. That's just a little, yep. a little side note. And of course, now I have a uh, quote from uh, Joseph Malazzi. Yeah, yes. So he says, I was awakened at a little past 7 a.m. by my ringing cell phone. I got out of bed to answer and discovered I'd already missed two calls from my sister in Montreal. What the hell? I answered. Uh, she, I answered. She asked me if I had the TV on. I told her I had just got up. She informed me that two planes had flown into the Twin Towers. Another had hit the Pentagon. I was stunned. For a split second, my sci-fi mind assumed some mass mechanical failure. But the truth, far more insidious and disquieting, took hold. I turned on the TV and immediately phoned Paul... Paul Mully, uh, you watching, I asked. Yeah, he said, I'm watching. When I got into work, the production offices were quiet. Someone had turned on the television in the conference room, reserved typically for screening visual effects, and anyone who wasn't on filming was in there, silently watching the horrific events unfold. It was surreal. Down on set, we were finishing up second unit on this episode while the main unit photography had started on the next episode. 9-11 is the first thing that comes to mind when I think back to either of these episodes. I was wondering about that. So this episode filmed. Yeah, yeah. uh, They actually finished the the primary filming. In early September. Before September 11 happened. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get into it. Yep. Um, so, uh, also I want to make mention of the fact that, so, um, you'll notice in some of those fight scenes at the end with Teal'c and Katano, uh, they had that really cool Matrix style effect of the camera moving around. Well, so like in the Matrix world, they had like 17,000 different cameras at two inches apart and they were just like filming all of them and they stitched it all together and it was really cool. Um, well... They don't have that available to them in this. Mm-mm. And instead, Mm-mm. they used a turntable. And they had the camera on a turntable. Mm. And it was spinning around like that and doing all of that fun stuff. Um, Interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, Peter DeLuise had some fun with it and enjoyed it. And he says he was very pleased with the results. The, I, I was not- I, I agree that, that that scene looked really really fun. There was one part about it that was very um, that was very unique at least to my viewing experience and I'm kind of curious if other people had it had, had it as well. Um, Zach, I bet you dollars to donuts that you were watching it on do you own it on Blu-ray? Uh, no, not yet they, they just recently came out with a Blu-ray and I've been gotcha. talking about buying it and I haven't done that yet. but I did so watch you were watching it, it on. on- uh, Amazon. Gotcha. Um, then w- when I was watching the fight scene with my SD resolution and up for, because I bought the season from Apple because I'm a giant obtuse dork. Um, there, there was some real noticeable interlacing, uh, artifacts mm. in those slow-mo scenes. It was really interesting that it stood out. I was like, wow, why am I seeing it? Like, you know, like something, something weird is happening here. And it didn't really take away too much from the story. And it only happened in the slow-mo shots of the fight. Everywhere else was clean. 
But I was like, oh, I bet you that's not common. I bet you that there's plenty of other people that never saw that at all. But I would be interested to know, dear listeners, if what you saw when you watched this episode recently was also weird interlacing error artifacts in that fight scene at the end. I did not notice anything like that. Um, it was strongly noticeable. I, I, let me rephrase that. You totally would have noticed the lines of the interlacing problem. Uh, and you've been like, whoa, that's weird. And then that would have been the end of it. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't specifically notice it. Um, I'd have to rewatch it again um, to to see if I noticed it. I was just kind of, yeah, I didn't notice it. But yeah. that's real- no. And it was it was very specific to those slow-mo shots of the fight scene. I was finding it extremely interesting because I'm like, Oh, it's only the it's it, it, but it was consistent, you know. That end scene, slow mo, interlace weirdness, shot away at the crowd looking, no interlace problems. Back at them fighting, interlace problems, shot away, no interlace problems, and then nothing, nothing afterwards. Sure, it was really weird. Hmm. Uh, I have one more quote here from Tony Amendola. He says, mm-hmm. "My memories of the warrior are of those wonderful South American martial arts." I also remember Peter DeLuise's energy during the shoot. Peter's ability to energize people when he is trying to control a crowd of 100 and get exactly (laughs) what he wants from everybody is a wonder to behold. Sometimes he does it with a steady stream of profanity, which is hilarious. It's not offensive and gets everybody pumped up (laughs) and laughing because of what he's saying and how he's saying it. Um, He goes on and he says... uh, I found the false messiah aspect of the story really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Then came the realization at the end where we say, you know what? We have to do it ourselves. Ultimately, what it comes down to is the knowledge that you can't look outside yourself for answers. You really have to reach inside yourself. Mm. So those are Tony's uh, thoughts on this episode. Yeah. And finally, this episode in French... In Italian, Ah, in Spanish, in Czech, and in Hungarian is The Warrior. Yeah. And the Germans? They call this (laughs) the Jaffa Rebellion. Oh, well, that's not so bad. No, no, it's not so bad. Um, There you go. That's funny. (laughs) Yes. All right. Oh. Shano's really Imhotep. It was Imhotep. Thanks. Thanks, Germany. All right, shall we dig right. into the synopsis here? Yes, All right, let's here we get go. into it. <clears throat> I got charisma. I got a deep, sultry voice. I can't do this. I can't. <laughs> I don't have, well, you, I don't have oh, the deep, oh, sultry voice that do, he has. Do you want me to try it? Do you want all me to right. give it a shot? Yeah, you, all right, give me, give me that, that, that. All right, I'll do the first paragraph here. All right, okay. So. I've got charisma. I've got a deep, sultry voice. I've got a smile that can win over anyone with a wonky tattoo on my forehead. I am Katano, the first prime of Himotep, whom I killed because the Gua'uld are not gods. And together, we will free all Jafar! Very good. How was that? That was, that was much better than me. <laughs> I, I can do me. I just can't do other people. Very well. <laughs> well, I mean, his his cadence and his delivery was very distinctive. Yeah. And so that's why I'm able to kind of replicate it because it's well, also, I mean, I guess my vocal cords are built similar to his. But like, I liked it. I liked his delivery, his his oratory delivery. I was really liking a lot. 
Oh, yeah. Um, so, continuing. Yes. Braytek and Teal'c watch on, hopefully. Could Katano bring, uh, help to bring about the freedom of all Jaffa? Back at the SGC, Braytek and Teal'c report what they've seen. Katano has been quite successful gathering Jaffa from a whole bunch of different system lords, mostly from those Gulwold system lords that the SGC have killed over the years. He may, in fact, be a worthy ally, especially given that the Tolan are probably gone for good and the Tok'ra have experienced a major defeat. Mm-hmm. Hammond authorizes food, medical supplies, and yes, even weapons to be shared with the free Jaffa. SG-1 and Braytek gather the supplies and head out. Upon arriving, they are greeted by Raknor and several other free Jaffa. They are happy to see the food and the medical supplies, but they're a little dismayed that the weapons SG-1 brought are Earth weapons. They're not true weapons, you know. They're not staff weapons and Zatnikatels and the like. Mm-hmm. But, 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 but we still appreciate them, really. Mm. Um, Now, Katano is currently off-world on a raid. Uh, When he does arrive, he and his troops are excited. Hurrah! And celebrating their victory. They do that a lot, by the way. Katano praises (laughs) SG-1 and all the system lords and names all of the system lords they have killed in their time. He doesn't actually praise the system lords. He's just like, oh, look at you guys for killing all those people. There is something, however, about Katano's presence that is truly magnetic. And yet, O'Neill is immediately skeptical of this Jaffa leader. Katano appreciates the potential alliance and asks what Earth has to offer. What Earth has to offer are P90s and other supplies. And like his followers, Katano attempts to hide his disappointment. He would have rather seen Guawuld weaponry and considers that Earth stuff kind of primitive. So it's time to show the Jaffa what the value of the P90 is. So let's demonstrate. Raknor, you are one of the best shots with a staff weapon. Take aim at that target, you know, that big, thick log that's dangling off a rope. Shoot! Hey, two out of three. Not bad. Very nice. (laughs) Hey, you! You know, you in the skirt! Get that thing moving. <laughs> O'Neill gets the guy in the skirt to, to make that, that, that log start to, 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 to rotate, to spin, move back and forth, back and forth. A little bit more. There you go. Okay, Carter, go. You, Carter's like, okay. And she aims her P90. And all of a sudden, that log is now in two pieces with one of them mm-hmm. on the ground. And they're all like, impressive. And O'Neill is like, okay, show that in single shot mode. Okay. So she goes click and she aims carefully and and sure enough, that shot from 60 yards away nails the rope that was holding on to that last bit of log and the whole thing collapses to the ground. Mm -hmm. The staff weapon is designed to scare the enemy. The P90 is designed to kill the enemy. And O'Neill reminds them all that the P90 has been their primary weapon in nearly all of the skirmishes they've had and won against the Jaffa, including many who are now a part of this resistance. Mm-hmm. Katano appears impressed and accepts the weapons. He then calls for a celebration. Hurrah! 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 
The next day, Katana and SG-1 head out on a raid of one of Nirti's Teltacs. The goal is a shipment of weapons-grade Naquita. They prepare the ambush. And, in the midst of the fighting, Katano steps out and walks straight up to one of the enemy Jaffa. He doesn't know fear, but he clearly has a strong grasp on stupid. (laughs) Follow me, or kill me now. Katano's tactic, however, is successful. His words sway the Jaffa, and they lay down their weapons. The raid is a success, and upon their return, everyone is elated. Everyone, that is, except O'Neill, Carter, and Daniel. Shortly thereafter, O'Neill witnesses Katano send a small group of Jaffa with a Nakoda-enhanced bomb strapped to their chest through the gate to blow up the evidence of their raid. But don't worry, because their souls will know only peace in Keb. So it's, it's okay. It's fine. It's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Suffice it to say, O'Neill is greatly disturbed. In his mind, this goes way beyond cultural differences, differences that have already to this point strained the relationship between the humans and the Jaffa. O'Neill makes the decision that he cannot recommend an alliance so long as Katano is in charge. His behavior is too reckless. He seems too cultish. Katano is fostering blind obedience to his will. His behavior reminds O'Neill, frankly, of the way the ghoul themselves act and gather followers. Tilk, however, is buying what Katano is selling. And Katano invites Tilk to lead a great mission to attack the weakened system Lord Yu. O'Neill asks Tilk not to go. He is convinced that if Tilk goes on this mission, he will not return. O'Neill publicly informs Katano that he is being held responsible for Tilk, and if Tilk doesn't return, there will be consequences. However, Katano is unfazed. Tilk goes through the gate! Unfortunately, he's immediately captured by Lord Yu's forces, but for whatever reason, for his own reasons, Lord Yu decides to let Tilk go but not without telling him something important about the Jaffa resistance and Katano. SG-1 decides that it is time to return home, but before they can depart, the gate opens and Tilk sprints out, running directly toward Katano in the Jaffa camp, crying out in a loud voice, DECEIVER! DECEIVER! Tilk calls Katano a deceiver and challenges him to join us a coup, the Jaffa right of leadership through combat, combat to the death. Stepping into the circle, the two begin their duel. Katano is at least as strong as Tilk. The two spar back and forth with with Katano appearing to be the superior warrior. Katano's all-out approach seems to be leading him to a quick victory. However, Tilk's Tilk's more balanced approach keeps him in the fight. That said, Tilk appears beaten. He's on the ground, and Katano steps up to Tilk and whispers in his ear that the Jaffa has in fact been beaten by his god, Imhotep. When Imhotep, a.k.a. Katano, begins his final attack, Tilk takes the opportunity to sneak in a quick death blow as he drives the broken staff straight into the gold's chest. <gasps> Ragnar checks out the body of the dead, quote, Jaffa, and is stunned that he's not actually a Jaffa. Uh oh. Lord Yu's ship begins bombarding the Jaffa camp from orbit. 
Tilk tells everyone that Katano was a lie, but the hope of freedom is not a lie. It's time for everyone to leave this place. Follow me as we depart. Follow me if you want to live. Everyone flees through the gate to Earth, but Braytak vows that their day will come. The Jaffa will one day be free. The end. The end. So Brent. Yeah. The warrior. Mm -hmm. What did you think? Boy, howdy, did I have a complex relationship with this one. Do tell. Sure did. So, you know I love me some uh, philosophical uh, conflict. Indeed. You know, you know that I am a sucker for a story that says, hey, you know what? Their ways might not be our ways, and just because they make us uncomfortable doesn't mean that they're wrong. Indeed. I love a story that does that. And oh boy, was this one all about the suicide bombers Ooh, and the jihadists and the holy warriors and what's one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Like, there was a lot of that vibe in this one, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why I was so interested to hear that they wrote and shot this thing um, days before 9-11. I was unclear as to when this thing was going to be, you know, when, what the writing and releasing of the, you know, what the timeline is in actual, in, 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 in real life. So I had no idea where this was in juxtaposition to that. Um, I had suspected that if the plot point involved flying, uh, you know, I can't remember what the death gliders are called, whatever. If, death if, gliders. If flying death gliders. They have a different name, don't they? Whatever. Well, you flying had death, death gliders, gliders, you had teltax, you've got hot talks. Yeah, no, right. Yeah, okay, fine. Flying death gliders into um, structures, I imagine that this episode probably wouldn't have seen the light of day, or they would have amended that scene somehow. Um, but, you know, it, it wasn't. But it was also something, it was something that aired in the spring of 2002. Like, mm-hmm. it's talking on point to the very ide- ideology that was currently being attacked by the West. Um, And I was interested to see where they were going to go with this one. Um, I'll rush to the end a little bit. I thought that they had sidestepped it by revealing that, um, by revealing that Katana was actually Imhotep the whole time. And I was definitely picking up that vibe as things were kind of traversing along, I was definitely kind of saying to myself, oh, you know what? This thing's going to resolve with um, with Katano being a fraud somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that uh, you know, all these victories might actually just be these, uh, you know, orchestrated things that are making him look good. Um, but I was also trying to put on the frame of mind that says that, uh, Teal and Braytac know what they're talking about, and if they are telling SG One to trust this, that 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 notion should carry some weight, and and it does, and you can see the conflict inside O'Neill's mind as he's weighing this thing back and forth. Um, you know, they did a good job with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there really still was this like overcast of. Hoping that these backwards people finally see the light of day and realize that our way is right. And we were able to avoid that whole thing because what was actually happening was that this whole crew of Jafar were being led into a trap 
No, I'm sorry. They were being gathered for a different purpose, which turned out to be a bit of a trap. Um, and they were saved at the end through the, you know, through, through the, through the eyes open aspect of SG one and Teal'c and a little bit of help from you, which I'm, I'm interested to see how that resolves for sure. Uh, like very interested to see how that resolves, but we're able to avoid the moral question of what makes their idea wrong and my idea right by revealing, oh, hey, we don't even have to answer that question because actually the leader was a bad guy. So we get to throw everything away that this person was saying or doing, right? We get to be all like, oh, yeah, obviously it's wrong because he's a bad guy. Okay, problem solved. Woo. Thank goodness we established he was a bad guy. Dang, can you imagine the kind of moral conflict we'd be in if he was a good guy? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Woo. Well, I guess uh, I guess that just goes to show that uh, if you disagree with somebody, they're a bad guy. Ding. Um, I don't. You know, I don't. I'm going to press on that just a smidge and say I'm not certain that just Imhotep being a bad guy uh, dismisses the the question, uh, even in story. But anyway. We can continue talking about that in a bit. Continue. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm being harsh with it because it allows, um, and I get it. I'm asking a lot of a television show, and I also get it. I'm the kind of person that relishes in these kind of the, these difficult questions, and I relish in these questions where having an answer is either difficult or impossible, and that's me. And if I, on a Thursday evening after work, just want to sit down with a cold beer on the couch and watch some sci-fi, um, I would like it to not necessarily have to throw me down a, um, you know, a philosophical hole uh, for me to try to get some enjoyment out of it. I- I'm respectful of that as well, that like, this is a TV show, dude. It doesn't have to be a treatise on the philosophies of of culture domination. Um but it was it was opening up that can of worms like it was purposefully putting out there the notion of these ways are not your ways like we would like you to understand these ways but these ways are not your ways and over and again uh o'neill kept bringing voice to hey your ways are not our ways and they kept saying yeah these ways are not your ways um And it was being presented in a framework that says, are you able to expand your ability to accept different ideas so that you can include us? And the short answer was no. And the short answer was not no, and that's a tragedy. The short answer was no, and oh, good, we don't have to deal with the tragedy because turns out the bad guy was a bad guy. Or the good guy was a bad guy. You know what I'm saying? And so that's me being like, "Mm." definitely getting close to a really interesting question and you asked it a couple of different ways and you were being really really explicit about how to think about these differences and what to do when those differences are literally grating against the side of our understanding and our and our willingness to accept something those are good questions i like Mm -hmm. those questions uh and then it kind of bailed out but it asked those questions. It got me thinking about those questions. I'm delighted to talk about those questions. It didn't uh, cheat on those questions. I just think that it kind of it kind of it kind of avoided it by kind of doing a turns out there at the end. And then there's just the rest of the television story. It, like you know the things that I like to kind of go on about about how once again 
these things are really well acted anymore. I mean, like these, like the like the main characters for sure, like the the main actors have their characters on lock, and these guest actors are just nailing it out of the park. Like there was so much believability about this. There was so much, even though it was purposefully being set up as a reductionist argument. Not in a bad way, you know, in the, you got to distill it. You're trying to tell a story in 40 minutes. So, you know, you, you know, this, this, like this real concentrated aspects of these ideas and they were being presented in a believable way. And even the twist at the end wasn't like way over the top. It wasn't like a, I can't believe that it was like a, Oh, all right. Yeah. I can see that. Um, you're sidestepping a question, but you know what? This is a believable turn of events. Kind of interested what Yu's motivation was. Why on earth did he let Teal get back there? I don't know about that. Um, but I'm trusting the process on this one. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was well directed. It was well shot. Um, those martial arts scenes outside were a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the fight scenes at the end were really well. You know, like there was a lot of good stuff in here, and it resolves with our team still together which is good. And it resolves with um, the avoidance of the destruction of rebellious Jaffa, which is good. And it, and it resolves with the, um, the ability for not only our heroes to live and fight another day, but for this group of people to live and fight another day, which is also good. I mean, there's Uh a lot of things here that this thing's ending with me being like, I'm feeling all right about this. Um, Yeah. Complex. Okay, so you wanted to press back on me being snippy about um, accepting cultures. Is that it? Well, something like that. Uh, so let, let, yeah, me, let me start talking. And so overall, I, I enjoy this episode. I, I think it's like it's well acted. It's well shot. Uh, it's visually appealing. Uh, mm-hmm. If at times visually the same, they're outside and, you know, Nearty's planet looks exactly the same as <laughs> the other planet. But, yes, only but, with a weird patina on it, but yeah. You know, but, you know, okay, fine. Uh, that that happens because they're shooting on site and I can, yes, you know, whatever. Um, but here, so this is, this the, the question it poses and it never gives us a clear answer, which I don't think is a bad thing. But, but the question becomes, where is the line of cultural difference that I need to be accepting yeah. of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, for, for O'Neill, he's like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll accept this. Okay. All right. You start strapping bombs onto young boys and sending yeah. them through the gates. That's where I draw the That's line. That's a line too far. Exactly. That's, and now it's really interesting because... Um, just a few years after this, you have Battlestar Galactica, and in season, I believe, three of Battlestar Galactica, they have a whole long series that actually addresses these same types of things, and mm-hmm. the suicide bombers become the heroes of the stories uh, mm-hmm. in that. Um, and and the, you know, so that, that addresses it in a completely different way, uh, suggesting that, well, maybe even that line uh, isn't where the line should be held. Um mm-hmm. And it's just a fascinating question um, that, that, that's just, I believe that we need to have cultural differences and that it is mm-hmm. in our differences that we find uh, greater unity. Uh, it is not actually in uniformity that unity comes. And mm-hmm. yet, the greater the difference, the more uh, dissonance those tones become and the harder it is to to find that common ground mm-hmm. and and that is 
such the challenge that this episode, I think, uh, invites us into. Yes. Um, and, and I appreciate that question so much. Um, one of the things that you see uh, from O'Neill is self-defining. Him, you know, he's like, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. I, I don't like where you're doing with this and I don't like what you're doing with that. Okay, I can work with you. Um, and then he gets to the point where it says, okay, this is where I I can still work with you on X and Y, but if you keep doing this, this pa- passes the point where where I am not comfortable tacitly approving that. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've got to find a different way to navigate the cultural differences. Um, uh, my, my, and, and I will say this, that uh, we will see the cultural differences between the Jaffa and the humans continue um, mm. uh, as the show progresses. So mm-hmm. this might actually be the first time we really dig into those differences. Um, and these differences are... Um, shaped in this situation by the fact that the leader of the free Jaffa is not actually a Jaffa, but right. a Gua Wuld. Um, and so you're certainly seeing elements of that uh, delve into it. Um, and then you get the question of, of how do we use uh, our cultural sensibilities or how do our cultural sensibilities become abused? Yeah. Uh, because you know, here you've got Teal'c, and Teal'c, under normal circumstances, I don't think would subscribe to strapping a bomb onto somebody and sending them out there uh, to kill. However, he is probably sold on the idea that uh, they get to go to Keb when they die, and that's going to be a good heavenly place. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it, it is fascinating that, uh, you know, when Peter DeLuise was writing all of his stuff, he was not writing this stuff thinking about uh, extreme Islam uh, and and what was happening potentially in the, the realities of the 9-11 and the post-9-11 realities of things. Um, you know, you could argue whether or not that was a good or a bad thing and whether he knew or didn't know, who knows. But he was just sort of uh, wondering uh, what would happen if I took this stuff and I pushed it one more step. And he mm-hmm. came up with this. And he was dismayed and shocked and didn't know quite what to do with the fact that uh, after this episode was written and shot and then aired, that uh, he was remarkably close to what was actually being said by certain groups of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that question becomes, you know, and we get that in Islam today and certainly even in 2002, is that what is Islam? What does it stand for? Um, and a large group of, of Muslims, probably a majority of Muslims so far as I can tell, uh, though I say that with a little bit of trepidation, recognizing that I am not, in fact, Muslim, um, so I don't want to speak too much. But as a general rule, uh, Islam is not about that extremism. It's about right. something different. Right. Uh, and yet that something different uh, can and has been and is being uh, manipulated and abused uh, to do some pretty, uh, well, I would call them horrific things. Mm-hmm. And if I'm honest, and I have to be honest about this, is that uh, Christianity, uh, the religion I do uh, subscribe to, uh, 
uh, has been used in the same way throughout history oh, yeah. and even yep. today. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, even going so far as saying it's okay for uh, someone to walk into a church with a gun and shoot down a bunch of worshipers because they happen to be black. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so these are things that, that happen. Uh, and this is a question that this, po- uh, this episode raises. And it's not a, I mean, of course, it's, it's not, there's no simple answer to this. Uh, and so for that, I'm glad that this episode doesn't give us a simple answer, other than to say that that manipulation is evil and that evil does need to be resisted. Um, but, but let me go ahead. But what would have happened if, what would have happened if the story was written and shot and aired such that Katano wasn't Imhotep, nor was he being deceitful? Nor was he being, you know, let let, let me just spin it all the way to the other side and say, let's imagine that character as being genuine, uh, as being honest with what he was desiring and saying and, uh, and full of faith Mm -hmm. that his ideas were going to carry the day such that when he stands up and walks straight at a bunch of Jaffa who are firing at him, he trusts uh, he trusts the magic of what he has to say sufficiently that he believes with all his heart it's going to work. That that converting those Jaffa is not going to be the work of staff weapons, but the work of this brave act of walking straight up to them. Like sure. let's just put it, let's just spin it all the way to the one right. side of. So even super even in that situation, what you have then is uh, obviously the the ending of the story would be somewhat different, completely different, uh, yep. completely different. But you still have. Uh, O'Neill, who in that moment of self-definition says, okay, you can be that. If that's who you are, you can do that. But I can't be part of that. And he walks away. And that also is a good message to recognize. And that's a real hard line for many of us to, to step in. It's like, where where do I, you know, it's like, where do I draw the line on accepting your behavior and not? Um, for me, it comes down to the question of how can I say yes to you, the person, um, and yet at the same time reject uh, the actions that you are doing? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means the, the, the sometimes that means okay. Um, when you are not doing actions A, B, and C, then I will hang out with you and engage you and such. Sometimes it means um, so long as you continue to actively do A, B, and C, I'm going to have to remove myself from the situation. And if and when you come to a point where you realize that A, B, and C is not something that is actually helpful for you and for uh, our relationship, then we can continue therein. Um, you know, these are all hard questions, and there's not a clear, easy answer. There, not only are they hard questions, nor is there a clear, easy answer. I suspect. Now, I know you very well, Zach, and I know that there's probably a very, very um, intentionally drawn line. Okay, I'm. I'm sorry. I had a thought, and it's starting to kind of cloud away. So let me try to get back here. Um, because this one's complex, that in our storytelling, there is something 
of badness. There's an inherent badness to the notion of SG-1, the team, getting destroyed because Teal'c will join with these Free Jaffa in their fight against the Gua'uld. And I think what I hear you saying is, that's bad, but that's bad for it and it alone, period. It is not bad because Teal'c is being duped. Now, the actual story clouds that line a little bit because Imhotep was duping everybody. So I'm going to set that one aside for a second. Let's pretend that the that the that the beliefs of these free Jaffa that when they die they're going to go to wherever I can't remember the name of the place. Um, Keb and, and Keb and everything's going to be great, et cetera, et cetera. And so the act of running in and swinging power in your favor through destruction is valuable and revered and the the sacrifice of yourself uh is noble which as i'm saying those words out loud man i gotta tell you we give purple hearts to soldiers for a reason and we don't strap bombs to their chest but that might be a bit of a of a technicality um in in some respects but anyway bringing it back to this philosophical question. So, but what I think I hear you saying is that if the team were to be destroyed because Teal'c decided to join the Free Jaffa, that would be bad and that would be the end of it. It was bad because the team got destroyed, but it was not it would not be bad because Teal'c is now believing something that O'Neill cannot. That is friction creating, that is uh, that that it, that is a frustration. That is something that is needs to be navigated. There are emotions attached to it, but what is not being attached to it is some kind of of um, demand that there needs to be somebody who is correct and somebody who is incorrect. And the incorrect person, hopefully, someday will see the correct viewpoint because otherwise, this discord is just wrong. It's bad because the team is broken, and that's bad. And it's bad because there's frustrations, because because that's frustrating. It's fr- it's, there's frustrations. But that's a very distinct thing than it's bad because they're wrong. Yeah. So keep in mind, like, if we were to translate this to Star Trek races and species and such, the Jaffa function mm-hmm. very much like Klingons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now, there's a lot of differences between Klingons and Jaffa, but they are both basically, at least currently, warrior societies that have a g- tremendous spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we see this with Worf in Star Trek, specifically Deep Space Nine, but you see it in also in Next Generation. Uh, there are times when his cultural uh, demands uh, fly in the face of his... Uh, demands as a member of Starfleet. And he has to navigate that, and uh, Picard and Cisco also have to navigate that. And sometimes that means holding the line and saying, this behavior is unacceptable while you're wearing that uniform. If mm-hmm. you can't navigate that, then you can't wear that uniform. Um, that doesn't mean I don't like you. That doesn't mean that you're a bad person. That means mm-hmm. that the way... You know, if if that's what you need to do because of your cultural heritage and whatnot, um, okay, fine. But you can't do that if you're going to be a representative of this, and that's mm-hmm. what this uniform means. Um, and and I think I have a suspicion, and, and it's hard to tell for sure because um, 
you know, O'Neill is different than Cisco or Picard. And obviously this episode ends very differently in that regard, where um, Teal'c recognizes that the message that, that, uh, that Katano himself was a deceiver and a lie um, and has to rec- kind of find that, that other layer and says, well, okay, so this guy is a lie, but that doesn't mean what we came here for is a lie. Yeah, um, and, and that was but, a smart pivot that I liked. I liked that, but but if if we are going down this idea of saying, well, what if uh, Katano was genuine and all of that stuff? I think that would come a point where where uh, O'Neill would require of Teal'c, uh, if you're going to be part of SGC, then right. you can't right. do this and that. Right. But Which if you are going to right. not be part of this and be part of the Jaffa rebellion and such then okay um you know but we can't be part of that specifically right which has its own badness and sadness and friction but it's the friction and sadness of the end of something not the wrongness of something right yeah yeah um now i would like to pivot just a little bit because i kind of Mm -hmm. point brought it up here so this episode we kind of talked about the hypothetical, but this is an episode that actually talks then, I think the, the pivot at the end that says Katano is a lie, but the message uh, of the free Jaffa is not, uh, mm-hmm. becomes something really, really valuable. And that actually becomes um, the, the story here. I think that's actually the, the point of this. Um, and so then the question um, in what ways, you know, now I extrapolate this into our lives, in what ways are uh, the methods of a truth being abused and become a lie, but mm-hmm. the truth itself underlying it is still valuable? And how do we, how do we navigate that? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, cause, that, go ahead. That one is, I mean... People have argued and written and gone to war and smacked each other in the face and had cups of coffee and all, you know, that question has been central to so much discourse. Well, yeah, <laughs> in, in broad ways. Um, that, that the belief that there is a truth and the belief that that truth can be known and the belief that one person is able to glimpse more of it than another such that declarations of uh, particular actions falling close to or away from that truth. There's a lot of assumptions that are getting thrown in there. I think it's fine. I think it's great. I think there's a lot of benefit to a group of people that want to jam into that idea. And there's a potential for piles of abuse, piles of abuse. Indeed. But the process of that examination, I take the position of that the process of that examination is something that is subject to the, to the tides of time itself. That if you and I lived and existed in a society a thousand years ago or 2000 years ago or 3000 years ago, you and I would literally be coming at this thing with completely different tools and arriving at different conclusions. So spin it into our future. The way that I view the world and the truth is something, uh, this is, a belief of mine, that it is intrinsically something that would be different than the same me 
2,000 years in the future. So I can't get too uppity about how I view truth and what aligns with it and what does not align with it. But for the fact that I live now and not 2,000 years in the future, and there are decisions about that truthiness that I make today, which create or diminish discord. And I am a person who wants to diminish discord. And there are others who want to increase it. And in that spectrum, I'm fine with letting my own beliefs guide me to say, I think that 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 idea is not truth. I think that idea is undermining the truth that is being told here. I think that that idea is 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 a bad idea that is going to prevent, create more harm than good, that it's going against what we want, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that's from a framework of understanding that I'm interpreting it in in my moment now as informed by my past and my history and my culture, et cetera. But it's, it's, it's a very malleable thing, which is why I was jamming on this kind of philosophical question regarding it, you know, just like, you know, what makes strapping a bomb to one's chest and going through the thing wrong? You know, that was the line that wasn't to be crossed. That's the interesting question that I think is worth asking, but it's a tough one without an answer. And it's just really complex. I mean, for me, it comes down to this. The, the only thing I can do is be the best me that I can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we get that um, from Tony Amendola's words as he thinks about this episode, and we get that from Braytech right. at the end, Yeah, is that um, here you have, um, you know, on some level, the whole Jaffa movement has been waiting for somebody to say something. And... And Teal'c says something, right, at the very beginning of the series. Mm-hmm. I am going to be free. And he lives into that, and he tries to convince other people that they should say the same thing. I should be free. And then you have Katano, who comes in and says, I'm free, just like all of you other folks. But in order for us to be free, we need to stick it to the man. Right. And Teal'c's response has always been in the series... I free am free, and I will stand up to those who prevent me from being free or try to prevent me from being free. And yet his answer is, you know, ultimately, I'm going to be free. I die free if that happens. I stand up to the evils in the world. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not, I mean, you know, Teal'c, when he gets to Tanith, I mean, there, there's a revenge thing. But as a general mm-hmm. rule, uh, Teal'c is about uh, standing up to evil and not becoming evil in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he looks at what Katano does, finally, in the end, um, he realizes that, that what Katano was doing was a deception. Um, and that the goal here is is to be able to articulate in myself, I'm free, um, mm-hmm. and then to stand up uh, for that over and against against something else. So being free is saying, I'm free, rather than being free is saying, you who would uh, oppress me, I'm going to kill you now. Because that's ultimately not freedom, it's just a different type of bondage. Which is what O'Neill's point was. Right. Um, and it took, so like, you know, O'Neill was able to 
click on that right away and say, wait a second, what Katano is selling here is just more of the same in a different skin. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason he's able to do that is because he is not part of the Jaffa culture. He's outside of that, so we can look at it with a a clearer sense of things. Um, And it takes time for Teal'c and Braytek, for that matter, and all of them, uh, to go through a process when they can say, hey, wait a second, this is not what we're asking for, what we want. This is just the same old thing in a different skin. But what we want is something new. And so you get that very end comment from Braytek. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we'll get this. We're coming there. But we're not there yet. Um, so... Uh, I got one more thing. I swore I wasn't going to have one more thing. All right, I told well, myself, no more one more things. Well, give me one more thing. One more thing. I wonder if an okay litmus test to object, as best as one can, to objectively evaluate whether a culture situation is beneficial or harmful is the level of participation of the people involved. So what's one of the biggest differences, at least on the face of it, uh, between sticking purple hearts on our soldiers and asking a soldier to stick a bomb on his chest, at least in these particularly two stories, the Purple Heart Club has participation from everyone affected, theoretically. Big, big asterisk acknowledged. But in its structure, it is designed to have participation in the decision-making process. And in the other, though, though the dictator is benevolent, it's still what this one person says. That might have been the spidey sense that was setting O'Neill off. Like, yeah, okay, fine, you're talking all the right words, but it's still just the you club and all these, all these people are doing your bidding here. How is that different? Right. Whereas on the other side, how is it different? It's nominally different because we all decided this was the right thing to do. Uh, yeah, I, I think I would agree with that in general. Uh, I might put it in a little bit different way. Um, mm-hmm. I would say something to the effect that, um, and, and I'm not certain if this is culturally biased. <laughs> well, I know it's culturally bi- biased. I'm not certain how badly it's culturally biased. Sure. But um, in the case of Katano, Katano was manipulating, uh, in this case, Tarak and others to do his bidding and uh, the desires and welfare of Tarak were um, manipulated out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, for a culture to stand well, that is not good, at least. Right. Um, right. And so there, there is a difference between me saying... I'm going to sacrifice myself for the sake of this cause. And me saying, I'm going to sacrifice you for the sake yes. of this cause. Um, now, in the realm of our American, well, in this case, for us, American military, but in the realm of military, um, mm-hmm. there is a slippery slope there with our generals and our presidents and our leaders uh, about sacrificing uh, the troops. Um, And there's, you know, I don't know quite how to resolve that. Um, But for me, it does come down to this idea that 
that when I am willing to sacrifice myself for the sake of something that I believe in, that's, I, I, I don't know if I want to use the word noble, but it's what I got. There, there, there yeah. is some sense of nobility in that. But if I am, Our, you and I would define that as noble, and uh, I think yeah. that's good enough. Um, but if I am unwilling to sacrifice myself, but I am perfectly willing to sacrifice somebody else, um, that's where where the problems come in. And I'm, yeah. I guess maybe that's where where I could draw my line, um, to the extent that the generals in our military or presidents are therein, um, are, would be willing to sacrifice themselves legitimately, but also knowing that their place is something different, mm-hmm. um, then maybe that's my line. And that's, even that's a slippery slope, and, and that's cautious. But The, the can of worms that, that is over there and is its own hour-long conversation mm-hmm. is the notion that in an ideal state, the ability of the people to change out who gets to make that decision is the participatory aspect which elevates that order to sacrifice yourself in a way that is very different than an autocrat ordering somebody to sacrifice themselves. So, And your point is also true that also nominally, the people that are ordering the other to sacrifice themselves would also willingly sacrifice themselves as well. If if the situation demanded it, they would also sacrifice themselves. The caveat is the situation demands that they do not. The situation demands that they stay here and do something else. Now I want to be that I want to be cautious in that because um I don't want to make an implicit democratic bias. I don't think it uh, requires okay. a democratic bias for that. I think it um, the, I mean, the idea of having an autocracy or a monarchy or something uh, doesn't preclude this behavior. Um, well, frankly, the Does it, democratic... Doesn't pa- preclude the well, participatory like, behavior? So, so I guess, you know, you were talking about the participatory behavior over and against an autocratic behavior. Correct. Um, that, yes, that is the delineation I'm making. Yeah. Um, and... And I guess it depends on how we define autocracy in in such. Uh, okay. But but mm-hmm. uh, in my head, I was hearing a a democratic process over and against a quote unquote non democratic process. Um, and I think it is right. possible to create a system of government, a system of uh, leadership that is not explicitly democratic, that also is participatory. And, yes. Um. And, and so you know, recognizing that, uh, that yep. even in a democratic system, uh, you can have the same types of abuses. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, the, the, the goal here is a goal that I think is, is true for the Jaffa as it is true for the humans in our world that, uh, goes beyond, well and truly beyond, the, the uh, political and social structures of mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what O'Neill was picking up on was that Katano was trying to uh, abuse his particular system for the sake of something else that wasn't actually beneficial for right. the whole. And it took right. Tilk some time 
because Teal'c was in the midst of things in a way that O'Neill was not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've seen places where O'Neill has been able to look at American society and say, really, guys? Really? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm blanking on specifics, but, but I kind of get that, that sense of things. It's keeping with uh, the, the character of Jack O'Neill is a maverick. Yeah. Like, we, we like mavericks. Real-life mavericks are kinds of pains in the asses and they create problems, but idealized mavericks are the ones who are able to, to speak the truth because they're outside of it a bit. And the power of a maverick character is that they are also inside it a bit. So they are able to have that outsider's perspective while also having access to the channels of change. Indeed. There we go. All right. I think Zach on and Brent's that, political hour. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> on that note... So last week, we kept everything to under an hour, and we're making up That's for because, it today. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, so I didn't know that this was going to happen, but I guess I did know that this was going to happen, I guess so. All right. So I think time, uh, this is a good time to shift gears and yep. uh, think about this episode and uh, the number of chevrons that we're going to give it. Mm-hmm. So enlighten me. <laughs> All right. So when I finished this episode, I was already committed to a high score. I knew this was going to be a juicy conversation. Um, And it's a juicy conversation as the result of some pretty well done television. And yeah, I was a little bit like, eh, you kind of avoided answering the question with your little switcheroo there at the end. But in talking through it with you, I'm not exactly sure how much of a switcheroo it was. I think it's a clean wrap up. I think that they were able to kind of put a bow on the thing in a way that would not have been possible if uh, Katano had not been... Uh, Imhotep in disguise. Imhotep. Um, I am going to give this one a seven. I'm going to give this one a seven. It was going to be a six. Like, after I had finished watching this, I'm like, I know that we're going to have a great time with this conversation. And I'm a little annoyed at how it ended. So it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be a six. But after having conversed, Mm -hmm. like, we've explored all sorts of amazing ideas and kind of bounced it around in a few different ways. And now that twist ending isn't quite as sidesteppy as I thought it was. I mean, that's still a bit of a step to the side. They're not really going straight at the worst or the hardest of the problems, but it's not bad. And I had a great conversation and it was a great episode. Seven, seven. All right. So I will say that, um, I'm not convinced that, that Imhotep or Katano being Imhotep at the end changes a whole lot. You could have had the exact same story and it would have been, uh, Imhotep, or it would have been Katano instead of Imhotep, and it mm-hmm. would have could have ended the same way other than that little bit there. Um, mm-hmm. I will say one thing that that does, and you can say this is a cop-out or not, I'm not certain, but what it does, it says that uh, uh, the Gould are our representations of evil. Yeah. And so when we have it being Imhotep and not a uh, Jaffa uh, Katano, uh, being, you know, the bad guy in the end, mm-hmm. then then we're just pointing the finger at, hey, this is evil, and we mark this as evil because it's Jaffa, or because it's a, yep. a Gould. Because Gould. It's mm-hmm. n- um, and you certainly enter into a muddier area if you say, now I have a Jaffa who is yes. evil. Um, yes. So, so in that regard, it, there's a sidestep, and on some levels, there's not a sidestep. I think it would end up being the same thing. I think Tilk would respond mm-hmm. the same way either way. Uh, Tilk oh, yeah. says, we've been deceived by this guy. Um, 
for a number of things. And so there you go. Now, yep. as for my rating, um, I enjoyed this episode. Uh, I am just pleased as punch that uh, Christopher Judge took, put on his writing hat to yeah. participate in this. I this think a it's a story. strong story. Um, uh, I, I like uh, I like the story. I am going to give this one a six. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm going to give it a six because I don't quite want to give it a seven yet. Um, but uh, I like yeah. the story. It's strong. And I appreciate very much our conversation therein. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. right. So let us dig into our Ooh. predictions. Yeah. And I've got a job because I put it on Twitter. Yes, you did. Twitter. I forgot about my job. Did anybody reply? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't looked at Twitter. Uh, <laughs> all right. I've got one because, okay. All right. I'm going to go first. All right. Uh, on Twitter, we have our good friend, David. Hi, David. Hi, David. Who usually is going to be sending us an email, which I imagine, I which think I he predict did. he's going to be sending us an email too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. He says this. I predict that no one will make a prediction here. I know I won't. Or will I? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> and the short answer is indeed no. Nobody put a prediction on Twitter, which is fine. Because even in my tweet, I'm like, oh, yeah, Zach asked me to do this because, yeah, we've been talking about it. And so here you go. Probably should go over to Facebook. <laughs> no, but, but here's the thing, is that this was the first time we do this. And so if we do this more and more, people on the Twitterverse will see this and maybe consider uh, engaging it in a different way. Um, I want to make sure that it's because, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of responses early on on Facebook, even. That's also a good point. So you're right. All right. right. In any case, here we go. Yes. Our first one comes from Nick. Hi, Nick. And Nick says redacted. Um, Redacted, Okay. Mm -hmm. That's because what he says is something you don't know about. Yep. Uh, Solidifies Teal'c as a true Jaffa leader. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, he finds the bothersome use of Southern preacher-style rhetoric for what turns out to be a bad guy. Uh, it's almost like making MLK into a villain. Ooh. Um, uh, that, that's... Okay. That might have to warrant a rewatch. Yeah. So we'll, we, that, that right there warrants more conversation, but I don't know if uh-huh. this is the time to do that. Thank you very much for that, Nick. That's uh, a good thing. He to, gives yeah, this one a four. Okay. Uh, he says, I predict a four and a half from Zach because it's not a great episode, but it moves the overall story along. I predict a three from Brent because obvious Gould pretending to not be Gould is obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm, I think I'm being overly generous because of the philosophical thing mm. but yeah no like i said i saw that i saw the switcheroo coming from a mile away oh and and then he also uh adds um he's the first one to at- respond to this and he's like he wanted to be johnny on the spot because last time he was too late for the recording <laughs> ah <laughs> and gotcha. and you're absolutely right as a general rule folks uh we start <laughs> recording at around what 10 30 probably uh ish on, yeah. on sa- uh, Saturday mornings, that's 10.30 Central, Central. 10.30 Central mm-hmm. time. And we get to this by uh, usually around <laughs> noon-ish, depending. Yeah, yeah. Um, give or take. <laughs> and, and so I will definitely add whatever we have at that point in time. And please don't 
feel like you have to not say anything if we don't. But but if you want right. to be on the air, this is what is required. That's half of it, and then also then there's the other half is that I don't usually get the episode out until Sunday midday. So that's you true. Know, there's all that extra time where you could be making predictions to see whether or not you were right on the money or not. Yeah, yeah. All right, Helio says. Hi, Helio. I like this one. Uh, lots of O'Neill's jokes about memory and days to live. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. I, I did like that as well. You know, bad was Katano bringing Capoeira's punches to a fight to the death, but the camera movements during the fight were quite a nice. Were quite nice. Yes. Uh, I give it four out of seven. Uh, I'm guessing that Zach will give it a four out of seven, and Brent will uh, sla- will give it also a four out of seven. Uh, if mm-hmm. the breakfast was satisfactory enough, and a three and a seven, if not. <laughs> so what happens if I accidentally skipped breakfast like I did today? Well, apparently your breakfast, whatever it was, was sufficiently satisfactory. I Actually, I was going to go the other way, that I get delusional. Oh, and well, now, and now I turn into a chaos agent, and you have no idea where I'm going to go. Ah, whoa! Well, mm-hmm. there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean says. <laughs> <Hi>, Sean. <laughs> the katano. Sorry, carry on. The katano twist boosts this to a four all around, but I don't have much else to say about the episode. Uh huh. Okay. Sure. Uh, Jacqueline says. Hi, Jacqueline. I like the camera work for the final fight between Teal and Katano. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the scene where Sam destroys the tree trunk with the P90's firepower, mm-hmm. partly mm-hmm. because it silences Katana following sh- his she's a female comment, mm-hmm. and also because Jack <laughs> just looks thrilled as the scene unfolds. You're absolutely yes. right, Jacqueline. Um, oh, yeah. I, I noticed that line about Katana, but she's just a female. I also noticed that Jack intentionally asked Sam to do that because I knew she, he knew that, that it would get under his skin and all of that stuff. <laughs> um, you know, I, we probably should have uh, given that more airtime here, but... Uh, I I, I I think that one, I don't know. I, I think that that one, that we have said all that needs to be said. Like, Katana was an idiot, and he showed his idiocy. And O'Neill was like, all right, idiot. Let me show you your idiocy, yep. Carter. Um, I will say this uh, about that scene. That scene was added by Brad Wright, uh, because even by this point in time, there's been a lot of questions that says, well, how can SGC be so successful against the Jaffa and the Gua'uld? And they're yes. like, okay, here's your answer. Because and I you, noticed it. Yeah. Yes. Because this this weapon is ultimately yep. uh, inferior to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Jacqueline continues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the episode as a whole isn't one of my favorites, so I'm going to say a four from both Zach and Brent. I think- Alas. I think you and I appreciate this episode more than, than that. Although I can totally get this middle of the road uh, lineup oh, yeah. that most of the people are getting. Um, there was an awful lot about it that was that was formulaic. Um, there was an awful lot about it that said what what will only be said when confronted with extremism, right? Like, there's a lot about it that is not exactly great. I spoiler everybody love a juicy topic so there you go <laughs> yep um yeah uh and, and i think one of the things that i appreciate about this episode and is, is that this episode really invites uh us as watchers to 
to engage in the the philosophical questions being asked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it came from Peter DeLuise is even more so because Peter is not known for asking a whole lot of philosophical questions. Sure. Um, right. But, and then we have Kevin who says, I'll Hi, predict Kevin. a four from both of you. Yep. And there you Nope. He, nope. <laughs> Good news, Kevin. You're with everybody else. Bad news. Except us. Except us. <laughs> yeah. And then we have uh, David. So David, Hi, David. Uh, did go on to Twitter and predicted nothing. But uh, yes. uh, Chevron encoding. <laughs> I fooled you all. This is not a bias buffer at all. <laughs> oh, it's the switcheroo. That's so, that, that switch I did not see coming. So uh, he predicts, Brent, you will give this episode six Chevrons. Ooh, yeah. And he predicts that I will give it six chevrons. Very good. Uh, There is a lot to like with this episode, he says, and I've enjoyed it every time I've seen it. A charismatic Mm -hmm. leader who can talk his enemies into laying down their weapons and joining him in the middle of a firefight. Followers so desperate for leadership that they turn a blind eye to real problems. The Mm -hmm. this is a weapon of war scene with the pain and understanding Mm -hmm. in Kitano's Mm -hmm. expression during that moment. The strife between the system lords that would allow Lord Yu to tell the Shova Tilk the truth and let him go. The big right? reveal at the end and the visible disappointment in those who believed in him. I might be yeah. able to make a case for a bump up to seven chevrons. Hey. But there were a few slow moments that could have been better. Mm-hmm. So, David, I think this is the second week in a row that you have really zeroed in on yes. where we came down. I think so too. Um, which is which is cool. Well done. And yes, y'all, I, I recognize that David and I do a podcast together and we were going to come up with episode four and David does do all of our promos for us, but we did not talk about this ahead of time. I no, promise. No, we play fair. <laughs> we play fair. And, 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 and I don't read the- any of these until right now. No. Correct. All right. So It's delightful. Those are our predictions. Nice. Your predictions. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. So, Brent. Yeah. The next episode, episode 19, the fourth Mm -hmm. to the last episode of this season, because there are 22 episodes in the season. Oh, that's right. We are wrapping up. We're getting really, really close. Anyway, this episode is called Menace. And I ask you, Uh what is Menace about? Menace. Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travel through the gate to find themselves on a strange world. It's a world populated by an, a, a bunch of machine people. Not androids, not robots, but machine people. Yes, it's very mysterious. Um, and they are walking around trying to figure out who is in charge of this place. And they come across some different scenes of mechanical life. There's a grocer that seems to be selling oil and gears, and there's a uh, there's a there's a there's a clothing shop that is just a bunch of tinfoil. And over here we have uh, you know we have a barber shop where where wires are being trimmed off. I don't know how they grow. Again, it's mysterious. And they figure out that there's a person in charge and the person in charge says hello this is my town do you like my town i've made it myself this is also a mechanical person and uh uh man 
this is not going to go well. Anyway, the, they said, what is your name, sir? And he said, my name is, my name is, this is such a bad joke. All right, I'm finishing it up. My name is Menace, and my town here is by Menace, because I was going to make a by Menon joke, which is literally a catch song from like the 80s, <laughs> 70s. I don't even 80s. know. 80s. And then like, how on earth, because I was going for yeah, like, and I was like, in my head, I'm like razors, and razors are like metal, and then I was like, how am I going to make that into a thing? Oh my gosh, that was disaster. Join us next time on Starcade <laughs> SG1, where Brent is being menaced by menace. Oh, this so, is not, this is not, it's just, geez, So I, I, I was, was <clears throat> half expecting you to go the Dennis route. I, that was my first thought. That was my first thought. And then I said, no, 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 too predictable. Uh, as I mentioned, I didn't have breakfast, so you, who knows where my brain's going to go. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, a town by menace. All right. So uh, are we going to see robot people in this one? Um, shall we watch the promo? <laughs> yes. Let's watch the promo. All right. I'm hitting play now. Next time on Stargate SG-1, a lone survivor is found on an abandoned planet. Okay. The power system is centered here. I was Wait just about to minute. try that. To... Wait a minute, it's a robot person! <laughs> My father always said I was special. What do you got? Well, I'm sure it's nothing, sir. I've never seen anything like that before. A further discovery on the planet jeopardizes everything. Oh, nuts. Oh, boy. Double nuts. What the heck's she doing? Uh-oh. Don't be afraid. It's just a toy. It's not a toy. And now the fate of the entire galaxy hangs in the balance. It's all next time on Stargate SG-1. Oh, dear. And he's got a P90. Dang, man. Oh. Hey, speaking of generals putting themselves at risk. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Look at that. Hey, Zach, I got a meaningful part of the story right. You did. You did. <laughs> well, as you were starting, I'm like, did you already watch the promo here? Did you already? Yeah. You know, no. 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 No, I was trying to figure out how to bring razor blades back into the story. Is what <laughs> I was. <laughs> well, you know, so oh. there is at least one robot android and yeah. lots of replicators. Replicators. And, oh, uh, and and Hammond in uh, tactical gear. And Hammond in tactical gear. <laughs> tactical <Yep>. Hammond. <laughs> nice. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, and that is so. That's next week with Menace. I want to give a special thanks to David for the promos. Thank uh, you, David. We appreciate them. Wonderful. Um, tell us what you think about this episode. Uh, this is a juicy one. There's a lot of stuff. Tell us what you think mm -hmm. about what we said. Uh, where did we get it wrong? Where did we get it right? Um, where did we not get the conversation filled out completely? Uh, let us <laughs> know. Uh, all of those is probably quite true. Uh, so you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com, which is W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-U-G-H-T-H-E-A-T-H-E-A-T-H-E-A-T-H-E-A-T-H-E-A-T-H-E-A-T-H-E-A-T-H-E-A-T-H-E-A-T-
Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.